0: Would you pray with me? Send your light and your spirit, O God, upon us this morning. Open our minds and hearts as we listen for your voice and seek to walk in your way. Amen. The first lesson this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 42. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth. And from the Gospel of Luke, the third chapter. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him bodily like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I can remember the moment I knew really knew my husband's love language. Quick aside here, you do remember the love languages, don't you? The five love languages. I'm guessing you still might have the book lying around somewhere. Gary Chapman, uh, who was a pastor and marriage and family counselor for, he had been a marriage and family counselor for about 20 years. When he discovered that couple after couple came to him, sharing that they felt unloved. And so he looked back at his notes, and he realized that there were about five yearnings that we have for ways to hear love and ways to receive love. And he came up with five, what he called, love languages. And he said that each of us have one that seems to be the central way that we hear and receive love. Do you remember them? And I want you to know that this book is actually still 30 years later on the bestsellers list. Do you remember those five love languages? The first, words of affirmation. The second, quality time. Then comes human touch, then the giving and receiving of gifts, and finally the fifth, acts of service. Part of the process, Chapman said, was that we discover what our own love language is. But knowing your own love language is the easy part. The real catch, he said, was knowing what other people's love language is and trying to communicate your love in their language. The stumbling block for most of us, Chapman argues, is that we tend to use our language on others, even when it isn't a good fit for them. If I hear and receive love in words of affirmation, all the beautiful, lovely words in the world may not be meaningful to one whose language is human touch. The key, Chapman says, is knowing the other people's language and challenging yourself. He says even training yourself to communicate in that way. So back to my story. It was 2002, and we were living in China while Jeff was on a Fulbright for a year. And we had traveled to the city of Wuhan for Jeff to give a lecture at the university there. And we were staying in a guest house on the university. Jeff got up and he put on casual clothes and went off for the day to meet with students and to tour the university. And the plan was that he would come back and he'd change and we would go together to a very formal dinner and he would give a keynote lecture. So the day went by, and the girls and I were in the guest house, and the clock was ticking in the afternoon, and I quickly realized that Jeff was not going to make it back in time to change clothes for the reception. So I said to the girls, come on, girls, let's go over, and we'll bring Dad his suit. Not a big deal. It was very close by and easy to do. I knew where he was. And so we walked over and we walked into the lobby where we knew he'd be and it was standing with a group of people and he looked over and he saw us and I could see his whole body just sort of shifted. And he walked over to us and by the time he got to us, he had tears in his eyes. And he said, you brought my suit that sealed it, and I have known ever since, acts of service is my husband's love language. It seems simple, but it's not, and I fail at it all the time, to give love in a way that is best for the other, and not just for ourselves. Knowing it is one thing, using it, that's another. I'm going to make a big theological jump here. What do you think God's love language is? What is it that brings joy and delight to the Almighty? What fills the love tank of the divine? Those are Gary Chapman's words. The opening line of the Westminster Catechism, which I know you all know, declares that the chief end of a human being is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever, which really means to love God, to speak a language of love that brings joy and delight and glory, not just to you, but to the divine. What is it that pleases God? Now we're entering very risky territory. We know God is a great mystery, mysterium tremendum, as the ancients said. We don't know what God looks like. As God says to Moses, Turn away, you cannot look at my face and live. We don't know God's mind. As God reminded Isaiah, my ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. And maybe most dangerous of all, we may never fully understand the will of God. Remember how God chastised Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? We sense God's movement here and there in a burning bush, in the rustle of a wind, in a small voice, in a dream. We feel God's presence in this and that, in silence and music and prayer and poetry, in each other. It is unwise for sure to say that we know God in toto, or that we can define God's will as if it were our own. But it doesn't mean that we're left totally in the dark, that we're given no hints, no light, no insights into what reflects God, what embodies God, and maybe even what pleases and delights God. The season of Epiphany runs from now all the way to the end of February, and it's all about these hints, and it's my favorite season of the church year. What can we sense in the world that reveals the delight, the light of God? What stories can we tell that help us to know how God loves? A good place to start, for sure, is today's lessons, those stunning words of God in Isaiah about the one who would bring justice. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. And in Luke, God's voice to Jesus at his baptism You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. God delights in Jesus, in his gentleness and courage, in his persistence and his works of justice. God delights in the spirit and the healing that he will bring to all people. In his service, and most of all, God delights in the person of Jesus It strikes me that Jesus actually hadn't done anything at his baptism when God declares this love and blessing. Where else can we see God's delight? Genesis 1 tells us we will see it in creation. God looked upon all that God had made and called it good. In 1 Samuel 12, the people were convinced that God would do away with them. They were in big trouble. Samuel assures them, for the Lord will not cast away his people, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. God delights in relationships. In 1 Kings 3, when Solomon prays for a heart of wisdom to discern what is right and wrong and to guide his people, the scripture says it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this and not for a long life or riches or for the life of his enemies. God delights in our desire and search for wisdom and understanding. In Micah 7, God delights in mercy. The prophet declares, God does not remain angry forever, but God delights in clemency. And in Psalm 147, we hear this God's delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the speed of a runner, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who hope in God's steadfast love. So many hints. God delights in creation, in relationship, in the search for understanding, in mercy, in hope and trust. But of course, this is the season of the great hint of God's love language. If you want to know God's love language and maybe you get stuck and forget, look to Jesus. His whole life becomes a signpost of God's way of loving. The love of all creation, the importance of relationship, the love of a quick mercy and forgiveness, the path of wisdom and understanding and a life of trust. Remember these words from Colossians. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell And through him, God was pleased to reconcile all things. This beloved child of God will bring justice to the nations, not with a hammer or a sword, but with gentleness. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. God declared in this beloved child, My soul delights. Trust him. Believe in him. Follow him. I wonder if this might be a place for us to start this year with delight. What if delight is a sign, a hint, that we are speaking God's love language? Simple joys or small gestures, a glimpse of something beautiful or funny or kind or forgiving. What if the flutter of joy that comes when your soul delights is God saying, Aha, I am here. I bless you. What if our ministry right now was to learn as many languages as we can of love? and bring just a small, bubbling joy to another person. The way the world is right now, a ministry of delight almost seems revolutionary. Coretta Scott King tells a story of receiving love this way on the night that Martin received the Nobel Peace Prize. They were preparing to go to the gala celebration, and Coretta asked Martin as they were getting changed if during the celebration that night they might be able to dance at the party. As a Southern Baptist preacher who had abstained his whole life from dancing, Coretta knew that this was a big ask, and Martin said no. He had committed his life and ministry to justice, and if the world saw him dancing tonight, he would be compromised, and perhaps it would compromise the whole mission. But at the end of the evening, as the music started to play, Martin stood up and took Coretta's hand and asked her to dance. She said, to the world, it may have seemed like a small thing, but to me, it meant the world. What about an example closer to home? This past week, we received a letter from the Taiwo family. I am hoping that you have read it. It was sent out in First News Weekly, and if you haven't seen it, you must go find it. It's a letter of love and gratitude and blessing for our shared life together as a church. My heart leapt when I read it. Delight! The sharing of love, of mutual joy, of interdependence as a community, of gratitude— What a beautiful reminder of all that delights God. What a love language. Parker Palmer says, It requires no special talent or effort to look at our world and point out the things that numb us or anger us or depress us. In fact, it's a no-brainer. But becoming keenly and consistently aware of what's good and true and beautiful and life-giving around us and within us demands a discipline. Love languages are a discipline. Not just feeling love, but finding a way to communicate it and share it, to give it to another of course Jesus is God's love language, not just an embodiment of God's love, but the communication of this love. But so are we. Remember, God's, remember Paul's words to the Corinthians. You are a letter of Christ, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Beloved, let's commit ourselves in these coming days to learning some new languages and communicating love to one another and bringing delight to one another and to the divine. And if you get stuck or lost, or discouraged. Look to Jesus. He knows the way. Amen.